0: Welcome back to COINTELPRO. This is Mike Spencer, here with my co-host. And that's me, Austin, and today we're going to be discussing a story at the intersection of decline, collapse, and climate change. We're going to be talking about crabs, and no, not the ones that I currently have. Ah, oh, fuck. Are we recording right now?
1: Yeah, we are.
0: Okay. Well, damn it. Um, anyways, we're going to be discussing the disappearance of billions of crabs from the Bering Sea in the northern region of the Pacific.
1: But we wanted to give a quick programming note about what we're working on right now.
0: In the coming months, we are going to be investigating a story related to a covert espionage war stretching from Beijing to Washington, D.C.
1: Our hope is to bring you a series like the Seminole County investigation from last year.
0: We plan to release episodes like this one in the meantime, but be patient with our production schedules as we try to bring you some of our own reporting. Now, on with the show.
1: So we're talking today about the collapsing Snow crab population, which led officials in Alaska earlier this month to cancel the seasonal snow crab fishing season, uh, the season that spawned a History Channel TV show that ran uh, for many seasons in the world of reality TV show. A significant piece of the fishing market in the northern Pacific Ocean. Austin has a little bit of background in biology and ecology. He's done some field research and we're going to let him take point for uh, wading in to the facts on the story.
0: The general consensus right now is that the facts are still sort of unclear for the most part. So the national oceanic and atmospheric administration uh, earlier released a sort of report where the population of snow crabs in the Eastern Bering Sea dropped from an estimated 11.7 billion in 2018 down to 1.9 billion in 2022. So that's well over 80% of that specific population of them there in the Bering Sea. And that's staggering. I mean, if you're a scientist and you're collecting data, you know, let's say you've been working on a project in, in 2018, and you are doing population ecological statistics in, in, 22, in 2022, and so if you come across those numbers, that's obviously going to be a major red flag. Right now, Noah thinks uh, that some kind of dramatic episode wiped out you know billions of the creatures. The scientists are sort of pointing to a large-scale mortality event of some kind. It's unclear what that could be. The original beliefs were that okay, there's like exceptionally warm waters in the Arctic, in that region, um, more so than usual. So, could this be a consequence of climate change in a warming ocean? It's hard to say. I mean, there there's been a lot of speculation over if it actually caused a large scale mortality event, like I mentioned earlier, or if they simply just moved. So that's it's it's still very much up in the air. Um, but they haven't been able to locate them yet. Bering Sea is a big place. It would be probably rather difficult to figure out where an entire you know population of them moved to.
1: To hide 9 billion crabs. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: and I think people have
1: this perception of crustaceans and animals of this variety that they're tough and hardy and all this sort of stuff. But oftentimes, you know, lobsters and crabs are, are covered in tiny little hairs that poke up through their carapace and leave them incredibly sensitive to things like temperature change and, and water. And it's it's an important skill for them to have, uh, you know, because it, they're so dependent on the correct conditions, you know, to, yeah. to make their, their livelihood work. Because if you, as you look at the, the NOAA data, one of the things that you notice is that the estimated crab population and the stock being brought to market don't really like correlate directly right that the capacity of the market and the fishing industry to extract crabs from the Bering Sea you know is is something that uh, goes goes up and down in a way that isn't dependent on scientists estimations of the actual size of the crab population and so that has led people to wonder at overfishing you know especially as crab populations yeah. are dwindling, and uh, you know the industry has to work harder to extract mm-hmm. its uh, its stock from from the sea, that you know that this this might also be an explanation, and certainly an explanation that would yeah. be more favorable to people who who want to uh, tamp down climate
0: alarmism. So you have Noah putting forth the theory that. This is this is related to warming waters, for example. They 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 have said specifically this very well could be a combination of multiple factors, and like anything, that is probably a likely explanation. But the National Marine Fisheries Service, so here we have another scientific government agency here in in October, uh, determined that with the current low numbers, the stock of the Bering Sea snow crab is officially overfished. So. They're specifically pointing to overfishing as the likely cause to the decline in population here. They've said that this means that there is not enough mature male biomass to reach what's considered the minimum stock size to be a sustainable fishery. In the most recent survey, the mature male biomass was estimated at 50,600 metric tons, and that's significantly below the minimum threshold of Mm 76,700
1: metric tons. You know, we talk a lot on this show about uh, decline and collapse, and some of it is related to uh, climate and ecology. There are a lot of people who will attempt to wade into this topic uh, in an effort to kind of split where the, the doomers might attempt to lump, right? Uh, the, to try to complicate and add nuance to to these, these sorts of points of views. And I think that this story kind of represents... One of, you know, I think uh, a growing list of succinct facts that I think are very difficult to, to split, right? To, uh, to contradict, to argue that people are being alarmist, that this, that this story in the Bering Sea is one of them. You know, I think it's right up there with, uh, you know, things like it took us 100 years to admit our first gigaton of CO2. Uh, now it takes us 10 days. Land biomass. Uh, it, by some estimates has decreased by 50% since the 18th century. You know, it, it's sort of in that category of things that are, I think, really hard to just like dismiss out of hand or like the way that you can kind of point out to people that you drive down the interstate uh, nowadays and your windshield does not get covered with bugs, right? Like, you know, those of us who grew up in the 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 heady days of yore, right? Uh, you know, you remember just like, having your windshield spattered with grasshoppers or whatever, you know, during the summertime. And that's, you know, and so I think that's why we wanted to, to take a second to, to talk about this story here. Are there any other facts on the ground that we should,
0: that we should consider? Well, I think that the thing that I want to do kind of address is that a lot of people may be like, okay, so what's the big deal about, an entire species basically disappearing overnight. Like what's, what's the big deal here? They're just snow crabs. Well, I mean, they're a food source. Number one for humans. Okay. Uh, Secondly, in ecology, there is a, there is a term called trophic cascade. And this, this is a term that applies to like situations where if you remove some kind of organism from, you know, the food chain in its localized ecosystem it causes unforeseen effects on basically everything around it. So, you, I mean, you can, you can look at any kind of ecosystem in the world, and if you remove, let's say, like the top predator in that ecosystem, you know, if we just took all the sharks out of the ocean, there would be incredible effects on the prey populations of those sharks, for example. So like snow crabs, they eat basically anything they can catch and break open with their claws this includes fish, shrimp, crabs, other crabs, worms, clams, snails, whatever sponges removing even though snow crabs are not some like apex predator in the Bering Sea taking them out you know they they might be the driver of population control for some kind of smaller fish for example and keeping that population in check well you take the snow crabs out this population of fish or worms or whatever shrimp all of a sudden explodes and maybe there, you know, these fish or shrimp have some kind of effect on like local algae in that area too. And then all of a sudden there's like some kind of algae or algal bloom that goes on and it deprives that area of oxygen. So it just like, like the term suggests it creates a cascade of like these negative effects on that ecosystem. Eventually when you have enough of this going on <clears throat> in the ocean, for example, this is this is something that that will start to affect humans at some point in terms of food you know the seafood is is a the the major food source for the majority of the world's population
1: i think another interesting wrinkle in this story you know if you're going to take seriously the theory that's been put forward by the the climate change deniers the people who who want to split where the doomers would lump will say that it's possible that all the crabs moved to Russia. (laughs) What I mean by that is just to say that the part of the Bering sea that's sort of in this Russian shelf is outside of the area that um, Noah is surveying, and then where we're pulling a decent amount of this data from. And, you know, I think that that's, that's an interesting thing to think about, especially as, you know, our ability to see into Russian waters has always been, you know, opaque at best. And with rising tensions between Russia and the West, you know, if if all of the crabs did move to Russia, that would be difficult to uh, to see, right? Yeah. To, to parse. But I, I think that, uh, like you said, you know, migration, uh, the possibility for you know warming waters, uh, and then even disease, we may have to vector all three of those things in this formula
0: some of the scientists reported that in 2018 there was an unusually high snow crab population count that sort of conspicuously coincided with one of the warmest years on record for that particular region Um, also a period of some of the lowest sea ice extent in that area in 2019 there was a major heat wave in the northeast pacific and originally scientists kind of attributed it to just random anomaly have come to the conclusion you know this is climate change related and so in relation to the snow crabs you have a situation where young snow crabs mature in these cold water pools at the bottom of the ocean or on the ocean floor in in the Bering Sea and that's sustained in part by some melting sea ice. That's sort of natural over time. And there's been, as a result of the Pacific marine heat wave, there's been accelerated melting and that's coupled with warmer waters. And this likely shrunk the available habitat and pushed what's effectively this nursery um, away. Here's the driver of population growth right here in the, these little areas and they're being forced to move mm-hmm. and if there's nowhere to go, well, they, you know, population dies off. And so that's one of the ideas that's been sort of reported by Noah as well. It, there, there's a large body of evidence to support what is a dramatically shrunken cold water habitat on the seafloor of the East Bering Sea. Reading about this story, this seems to be one of the bigger, more solidified like red flags in relation to like what what's happened in general with this story, Um, and that being that the entire cold water habitat for young snow crabs has just vanished, basically. So, it it very well it like 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 we've kind of talked about overfishing could easily be a part of it. I mean the the National Marine um, Fisheries Service has said that our our numbers indicate that snow crabs have been overfished quite a bit over the past you know 4 to 5 years and so that that could easily coincide with warming waters and it just it created the perfect storm for this to happen essentially
1: a lot of people who want to advance sort of one of these theories over another, uh, especially in the name of saying that it's it's not a big deal, that it's a part of sort of a natural you know, cycle, You know whether you, you choose overfishing or migration or warming waters uh, or some combination of the three, ultimately what we're talking about here are sort of three variables that are about human interaction with these ecosystems, regardless of how you want to cut it or what nuanced position you want to try to form out of these, these facts that what we're talking about here are the way in which humans interact with, with these environments, with these biomes. Yeah. And in, in the context of, of, of our show here, that that is, uh, you know, something that, that we worry is, you know, in this trajectory that, that we're interested in, you know, and, and you talk about, you know, what these cascading effects are in ecosystems, you know, and it, it, to me, it's like, I have this, I have this vision in my mind of just like a, of just an ocean full of jellyfish, you know, the, the, the trash bags of the sea, right. Just, uh, you know, thriving in warming waters and and diminishing biodiversity a million years from now, there'll be, you know, sentient jellyfish, you know, ruling the, the, the Earth, while we huddle in our caves, and yeah, they and, uh, they're they're
0: zipping around in flying saucers. The jellyfish are and terrorizing right. us, coming up out of the ocean. So we're we're in our caves, running around with our our sticks. You know, there's there's radioactive waste in the air after you know nuclear catastrophe and and all that. So <laughs> one of the the NOAA scientists was talking about uh, this term in this particular field of ecology called a refuge. And so it's a reliable buffer against species less adapted to um, the cold in relation to the snow crabs. So she's a scientist here. She's talking specifically about Pacific cod and their main food source is uh, snow crabs. She says one of the assumptions is that the Bering sea continues to warm and that cod suddenly have access to these cold water grounds. That are no longer cold. And so they have access to more snow crabs. They add well, it's probably not the smoking gun, but it could be, again, another explanation in a wide assortment of explanations that could be all of the above true. They also talk about how, because of cramped conditions, if these cold water pools on the ocean floor are disappearing and the number of these like specific habitats if it's decreasing you would have more crabs flocking to these smaller areas so it would create like these cramped conditions and they have uh, snow crabs have a uh, parasite among their species which is called bitter crab syndrome and I guess there's a bit of a mortality rate with this so again there's there's 20 different theories out there that could explain why this is happening, and all of the above could be true. But even with all of these different explanations, the root cause of it is still very much like, hey, the water is warmer and we overfish. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's what it comes down to.
1: For people who, who like, Uh, to think about materialism and the uh economic dynamics of industrialism and post-industrialism that there is kind of this interesting uh you know relationship between the market and these types of stories that i think might be worth exploring
0: So what does this story tell us about the state of post-industrialism and capitalism?
1: Political philosophers, as we call them in the 19th century, um, you know, social scientists or economists would be how we'd refer to them now, have long been noting, you know, this effective markets, right? That when, this, when profit becomes possible within a given market, that firms are going to flock to that market and they're going to divide up all of that available profit um, until the market reaches equilibrium again, right? And it's this trend that you may have heard about in your econ class in college, right? Uh, That, you know, largely explains why things like overfishing and and, and these types of things tend to be so common uh, in, you know, not just Fishing, but in in industries uh, across the board, there there are two political philosophers, uh, economists, and political scientists, as we call them now, who in the 19th century sort of, you know, tried to anticipate, you know, the course of these these processes. And the first um, is is Thomas Robert Malthus, who might be more familiar to you. You know, to talk about sort of Malthusian social theory. You know, what Malthus posited, right, was that you know the exploding human population in the 19th century, you know, was eventually going to reach a point where there were not enough resources, uh, to feed house clothe, shelter, you know, these folks. And that, that when we got to, when we got to that point, right, that society would just sort of fly apart, you know, into a million pieces, right. What Malthus is responding to is very similar to what someone like Karl Marx is responding to in the 19th century, right. Which is just this, this deep sense that what was going on around them in the world seemed untenable—that that there was no way that any of this could could come to anything other than the collapse of existing systems. You know, in in, in the nineteenth century, in particular, you know, and what's wrong with Malthusian and Marxist theory, like sort of in their classical interpretations, is that that both of these political philosophers essentially failed to anticipate the Rate of improvement in technology, right, and the capacity of, in the case of Malthus, for food to be produced through industrial agriculture, as it would, you know, come to exist in, in the nineteenth and early twentieth century, uh, you know, which helped stave off a lot of what Malthusian social theory feared. You know, and then, you know, in Marxism, you have kind of a, a similar analog, right, where, you know, what Marx underestimates is the capacity of the state and the, the bourgeois element to defend and retrench their position, you know, it, despite this upheaval to provide concessions to the working class, which would undercut profit, right, and, 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 and grow the, the power of the underclass, but, but ultimately allow them to stay in control and empower. As we move on to the twentieth century, so much of what undergirds this like uh, teleology of progress that we see from liberals and conservatives alike, you know, is ultimately this process that happened in the nineteenth and the twentieth century, where tech and industry was able to, you know, stave off the these effects, right, to make more food for people, to make society, you know, a little bit less cruel. And, and, and ultimately keep a handle on you know, this trajectory of, of, of capitalist transcendence of things like uh, feudalism and, and agrarianism and, and commercial capitalism. But what I think we're seeing here are the chickens coming home to roost in this story, right? That at some point, if you don't meaningfully head off the capacity of capitalism to immiserate or uh, industrialism to overfish you know snow crab that you know at some point we we reach a point where uh, these old problems of the 19th century return now in the 21st century. We've talked about all the ways that Marx and Malthus, you know, are wrong, but I think that one of the things that has, has been inescapable, which I think you have to give Karl Marx some credit for, because he, you know, is, isn't really working from actual economic data when he he makes this point, but that it's the you know the falling marginal rate of profit, you know, that is demonstrable, you know, if you look at modern economic data, right, that as firms divide up the finite resources on earth, that the money and, you know, manpower that it takes to exploit new markets, to extract resources and profit from them, you know, increases, right? It becomes more and more expensive to make a profit, you know, as, as the finite resources become divided up. That bears itself out. You know, if you go back and you look at the macroeconomic data in the United States or globally, you know, over the last seventy years, the returns on investment for capital have been uh, diminishing, and I think that you can see that here in the snow crab market, right? That you can see that that fisheries and uh, you know individual boats and the industry as a whole have had to work a lot harder to pull, uh, you know, this increasingly finite uh, number of crabs from from the floor of the Bering Sea you know and and that these are sort of the the principles and uh theories that are uh you know I think worth considering as we uh think about this topic